Amen. Thank you, worship team. Well, good morning. It's so good to see you. I see we have some of our college students that are coming back to town. It is great to see you. We miss you when you're gone, and so it's good to see you. And uh, I think we have some freshmen here as well. We got to move Wilson into the dorm on Friday. Actually, we didn't get to move him in. We got to go up later, but uh, uh, things are changing at our house. Gay and I were home by ourselves last night, kind of twiddling our thumbs, thinking, well, what are we going to do now? <laughs> so, uh, but life is good. It's great to be back. We enjoyed a few days away. One of the kind of the little treats that I had, uh, we were sitting at uh, my parents with the twins and, and my mom and dad, and, and my dad had a bunch of old pictures out on the table that we sat down to eat dinner, and he pulled one out, and he goes, oh, by the way, this is your... Your great, 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 we'll get to those in a minute. This is your great, 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 great granddad, and he was baptizing. He said he's baptizing in like maybe in Ethiopia or something like that, a pastor baptizing in Ethiopia. And I thought, well, that would have been a good story to know, Dad, before I've <laughs> been doing this for, for 30 years. But uh, what, a, what a great, as we're going to talk about in a few minutes, what a great stone that is a part of my heritage that I got to see a picture of and to learn the story of, uh, of, of a, a grandfather who was a pastor. And uh, so I wanted to ask you that question. How do you share and pass on the values and those things that are important in your family? What are the, what are the stories that you tell? What are the pictures that you show? We can go to the pictures now. This is several years ago. I think Wilson was about the second grade. I think this was right after we came here. Morgan, I think you're eighth grade, seventh or eighth grade there. Um, she's in her fourth year at med school now. The twins are probably 11 or 12. I think that's right before they were diagnosed with diabetes. And so that goes back a long way. Notice it's, they're sitting on a tree. We had a place, as you know, we did my doctoral work, and all our kids were born in Waco, and we have a place that we can go back to and share. And there's this huge oak tree that's just become a part of our family story. And it's a story that we've taken, go to the next picture. This is just a few years ago. Uh, same kids, and, and so by the pictures we have of this tree, we've been able to not just watch this tree grow up, but our family grow up. And it helps us to tell a story of how important it is to be family and how important it is to, to get away and spend special time together, to, to uh, vacation together, so to speak, and to spend those special times. And it, we tell the stories and we, we watched our family grow up around this tree as we had the chance to go. Maybe not every year, but, but uh, every 18 months to two years, uh, we, would, we would be there for sure. It's important that we have those pictures, those stories, those reminders that tell who we are and what we value, what we cherish, that speak of our faith. And I hope that you have those things in your family as well. Today, we finally get to quit wandering through the wilderness. If you've been with us through the summer, we have been wandering with the Israelites. We've wandered out of Egypt into the, uh, into the wilderness. We've wandered close to the promised land and then had to turn back around and wander again. But today... Today we are on the banks of the Jordan. Now, as we've been wandering, a whole generation has passed. Forty years have gone by. Even Moses, our great leader, has passed on. 
But on this day, we stand at the Jordan with Joshua. And in Joshua chapter 1, we know that the Lord assures Joshua that He is with him just as He was with Moses. And that now is the time to cross into the promised land, to, to receive what God has given them. Wow, what a day that that must have been. But you know, there was only one problem. You see, it was the time of the harvest in the promised land, and in the time of the harvest, the Jordan River would always overflow. So imagine bringing up thousands of people to cross over a Jordan River where there's no bridge, and where you had to safely cross over all of your families, and the Scripture points out an army of 40,000 men. And yet, the Scripture says that the Lord was with Joshua and the people. I'm going to just tell the story from Joshua chapters 3, 4, and 5. If you want to follow along in your Scripture, and I would encourage you over these next days to go back and to, to reread that passage and to reflect on the truths and on this story that we're going to encounter today. It was time to leave the wilderness. The priests would be carrying the Ark of the Covenant. Of course, we, we already remember that the Ark of the Covenant reminded us of the presence of God. It was where the Spirit of God resided. And so the priests would carry the Ark of the Covenant before God's people. And they were told that they were to, to walk towards the river and, and the people were to be behind them. And the Scripture says that as the, the priests began to walk into the river, that the promise of the Lord was, if you'll walk, then I will make a way. And they would, as they would step into the river, the waters parted. The Scripture tells us that upriver, that, that the Lord blocked the, the waters so that they quit flowing. And the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went to stand in the middle of the Jordan River. And the Scripture tells us that all of God's people crossed over on dry land. What an incredible story that, that, that we, we're told of God again providing a way for God's people to move into the land that He had promised them, that He had given to them. And by faith, they stepped into an overflowing river. And by faith, God held the waters up, dried the land so that they could go and come across. The Scripture tells us that when they got to the other side, that, that God had Joshua choose one man from each of the tribes, each of the twelve tribes, and they were to go back into the river. And there where they crossed, they were to, to gather a stone, each one of them a stone, not, not a, a little stone or a little rock, but a stone that they would have to carry on their shoulder, a huge, a heavy stone, and so they went back into the river, and you've, many of you have been in, in river settings, those smoothed out stones, those big rocks that are, are smoothed over the years by, by the waters that flow over them. And you can just imagine those 12 men going and picking up that stone, and they were asked, they were told to carry that stone to Gilgal, which was, would be the name of the place that they would camp that evening, that first night in the Promised Land. And so as these 12 men made their way with those stones, 
The Scripture tells us that Joshua went back into the riverbed while the the priests were standing there. And inside the riverbed, there in the riverbed, Joshua also gathered 12 stones and made a monument to remember that that's where they crossed over the, the Jordan. So as the priest and the Ark of the Covenant leave the river, the waters flow again. They go and they camp. The children of Israel go and they camp in Gilgal. And they take those 12 stones and they they form and they shape a monument, if you would. A place where those 12 stones are are gathered. And the Lord says to, to Joshua, Joshua, gather these stones in this place. Make this monument so that when your children and their children and their children come by this place called Gilgal that they would ask, hey dad, hey granddad, what do those stones mean? Let's pick up that story in Joshua chapter 4, verse 20 through 24. Those 12 stones which they had taken from the Jordan, Joshua set up with at Gilgal. And what we, we know and what we understand is that the word Gilgal means rolling. And in chapter 5, verse 9, that today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the name of that place is called Gilgal. So Gilgal has this, this connotation, this idea of at that place, God rolled away the reproach. He rolled away the shame of their slavery, of their captivity in Egypt. And in that place, that place was, if you would, a a place of salvation, a, a place of new birth, a place of new beginnings. And so there, back in chapter 4, verse 20, 21, Joshua set up those stones at Gilgal. He said to the sons of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, what are these stones? Then you shall inform your children, saying that Israel crossed this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed, just as the Lord your God had done to the Red Sea, which He dried up before us until we had crossed, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, so that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Did you catch that? that those, those stones, those monuments were to be to, to mark that place, not just where God cleared the way across the Jordan, but as a reminder of how God also cleared the way out of Egypt across the Red Sea or the Sea of Reeds. This is the place where you will come and tell your children these stones. Do, do you remember? you catch that? These stones... I loved showing you my pictures. 3,000 years ago, they didn't have pictures to show. So they would leave stones. They would leave monuments. They would leave stones that would tell those stories. And Gilgal was that place to tell the story of God's redemption, of God's salvation, of God's freedom from slavery, of God's new birth and new beginning. This was the place from which we possessed, began to possess and receive what God had promised us. For generations to come, I can see the Israelites 
talking about these stones, taking vacations, taking special trips to make sure we go by Gilgal so that we can show our kids the stones and tell them the stories and show them the Jordan River where we crossed. What stones have you placed around your house? I shared some pictures, but are there some other stones that you find in your house that your children, your grandchildren would say, Mom, Dad, Granddad, Grandmother, what, what does this mean? This is a stone that I keep in my office. It's a stone that was given to me by Wilson just a few years ago. He, he had to be the preacher's kid, the pastor's kid. I said, Wilson, we really need your help in vacation Bible school. Need you to be a team leader. Oh, Dad. Wilson, yeah, this will be a great place for you to serve. And this was one of their crafts one day. And afterwards he came and he brought it to me. He said, Dad, here, I want you to have this. And so I keep it in my office. He ended up having a really good week. He, he served the children well. He got to know them, got to care for them. And so it's a stone that I keep in my office that reminds me of the faith of my son and of his servant's heart and of a gift he gave to his dad who tried to share and to hand off my faith to him along the way. It's a powerful stone I keep right there so that I can see it. Do you have those stones in your home, in your office? I hope so. I hope they're stones that your kids, your, your neighbors ask, what's that mean? What's that mean? Are there any Gilgals in your life? Special places? Sacred places, maybe? One of the struggles that I know some of our seniors, Wilson included, they, they missed out on going to Falls Creek this summer. Clint was able to take them down for a day. But that's a, that's a, a holy place. It's a special place. It's, it's a Gilgal. And, and, and our seniors didn't get to have that senior Gilgal experience that they'd been anticipating and looking forward to all these years. Where, where are the Gilgals? Where are those holy places, those special places? The church, this sanctuary. We have families who've seen generations come through here. This is the place where they're buried where they're baptized, where their babies are dedicated, where they're married. It's, it's a holy, special place. Where are those, do you have some special places, some Gilgals that, that you make sure you take your kids to, your grandkids, your, your neighbors to show them? Let me tell you the story here of Gilgal and how here the Spirit of God rolled over my sin, my shame, my reproach, and gave me new life, salvation, a new start after I had wandered desperately for years in the wilderness. Do you have that Gilgal in your place? I think one of the reasons that our children and grandchildren struggle with their faith and even with their own identity, is that we have lost the value. We have lost the importance of these stones in our lives, these special places in our lives. 
Our children have no faith because we have not given them our faith. Yes, some may choose to leave and to forsake that faith, but church, we need to hand it to them. We we need to place it in their hands. And then if they choose to discard it, if they choose to throw it back in the river, that's their choice. But we have to be faithful. It breaks my heart when a student would say, a, a college student, a young adult, say, well, my parents really never gave me, shared their faith. They wanted me to, to find it on my own. They never gave anything to me. Oh, that we would know the value and importance of what it means to give our faith, to share those stones and those Gilgals with our children. As we move into chapter 5, we're in the promised land. Now, it's interesting what happens here. The Scriptures tell us that the Israelites did two things, two significant and important things once they entered into the promised land. Now, guys, cover your ears because the first one's not real pleasant. First, they circumcised all the males. Well, what's that about? Circumcision was the, the sign of the covenant that the Israelites had for the Abrahamic covenant that showed that they were in covenant relationship with God, that they were going to be faithful and loyal to God and follow after Him. Well, guess what? During their wilderness wanderings, that generation of people were disobedient. They were unfaithful. And they did not circumcise their children. They did not acknowledge the covenant that was theirs while in the wilderness. And so when they came into the promised land, they renewed that covenant with a sign. If you would, with a stone, a memorial, a living stone. Why do we do that to our men? Well, let me tell you the story. Let me tell you the significance of this stone. The second thing they did was they observed the Passover. Did you hear that? Did did you catch the significance of that? They observed the Passover. Guess what the Passover meal included? Unleavened bread. A lamb. You need wheat to make bread. You need a lamb to have the Passover meal. For the first time in a generation, the Israelites were able to make bread, to have grain to make bread, to have lambs, to have a meal. They were able to reap the harvest of the land for the first time in 40 years. They would no longer need manna. Remember, up until this time in the wilderness, God was providing manna and quail every day. Every day while they were in the wilderness. But from this day forward, the Scripture tells us that the Israelites would, from that day forward, would be responsible to find and prepare their own meals from the land in which they were inhabiting. They would, from that point on, have to work, have to work to cultivate and to nurture their land and their flocks. This is a reminder that there are seasons of life when we find ourselves in the wilderness. Church, this is true. We're in the midst of one of these. We've been through one of these. Where we are unable to provide our basic needs at times. 
when we are totally dependent upon the Lord and even upon others to provide manna and quail. But thankfully, we have a gracious God, right? Who provides that for us each and every day, even in the wilderness. Over these last months, unemployment, fear, disease, quarantining have kept many from being able to work. They have needed assistance from family, from friends, from the government, from churches, from other nonprofits. And today, the truth is, is there are, are some that continue to walk in this wilderness needing, assi- needing assistance. But let us remember that at some point, we are all meant to leave the wilderness where we can enjoy the work, the harvest, and of the land. Yes, I realize this is a sensitive issue. And the reality is is that there are are those in our society, in our families, that will always need long-term assistance. But instead of judging, and instead of condemning those who continue to need manna and quail, let us be gracious seeking to understand their unique circumstances in order that we might help them cross the Jordan so that they can find their way into the land of work and of harvest. In many ways, these two signs, these two signs of circumcision and of the Passover served as stones for Israel. They were the living stones so that as their children would say, why do we practice circumcision why do we practice the Passover their parents and grandparents could tell them why and with the stones of Gilgal firmly in place the Israelites were ready for the conquest of Jericho so church as we leave our summer wanderings it's important for us to remember the memorial or living stones of our faith, the stones that the Lord has given to us. First, the stone of baptism. Baptism is the powerful sign of God's saving work in our lives. As Baptists, we practice baptism by immersion. All of you gets wet. You come to faith in Christ first. Faith is not something that can be done for you by your parents. Now, it can be taught and instilled and, and given to you, but, but your parents can't claim faith for you. You must embrace it on your own. You come to faith in Christ first. Baptism is your response to what God's work of salvation is doing in you. Baptism is the stone that we use to mark and to remember God's saving work in our life. Baptism is the stone that causes others to ask, what does that mean? Why would you let someone dunk you in the water? What a great opportunity to tell your story and to tell what God has done in your life. We enter the water representing our old sinful nature. The cleansing water that we experience proclaims How the saving grace of God frees us and cleanses us from our sin, our unrighteousness, our guilt before God. In our immersion, we identify with Christ in His death. 
In fact, we proclaim that we must die to ourselves so that when we come up out of the water, we anticipate not just our eternal resurrection, but the new life in Christ that we experience through His work of salvation. We are forgiven and set free from our guilt. That's the, the picture that baptism offers. It's the stone that allows us to tell that story. We are now a new creation in Christ Jesus, raised to walk in new life. Romans chapter 6 is a great place to read if you, you have questions and, and thoughts about baptism. So every time we as a congregation share together in baptism, we place a new stone in Gilgal. A new stone that allows us to remember, that allows us to celebrate how God has rolled away our reproach and given us new life. Here's the question that I want to ask each of you today. Have you placed your stone of baptism at Gilgal? Have you placed your stone of baptism? Have you invited Christ Jesus to be your Savior, your Lord? Have you learned what it means to walk as a new creation? I can't imagine the Israelites having left those 12 stones in the riverbed of the Jordan to watch the waters crash back over them. And yet, I think in a way, that's what we do when we decide we don't want to be baptized. We leave the stone in the river instead of placing it at Gilgal. Where others can say, what does that mean? Tell me, what does that stone mean for you? The second memorial or living stone that the Lord gives us is the Lord's Supper. And like the stone of baptism, the Lord's Supper also should spark the question, what does that mean? The Lord's Supper is the fellowship meal of the church. It is the expression of unity among believers that we share with one another as we profess and proclaim the saving work of Jesus Christ on the cross. The bread represents the broken body of Christ. Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. His body was broken that ours would not be. He willingly took on our death, our punishment. In the broken body of Christ, we are reminded that God's grace is free, but it's not cheap. It cost our Father dearly. It cost His Son, our Lord Jesus, dearly. Jesus paid the devastating price for our sin. The cup, the cup tells us the story of the new covenant of God's grace. The covenant of Abraham and the law of Moses are fulfilled in Jesus. Amen. The cup represents the blood of Jesus shed on the cross. You see, it was the blood of lambs that was required by the law for the forgiveness of sins. But it was the blood of the Lamb of God that once and for all paid the debt of our sin and our rebellion 
against God. The new covenant of grace, of salvation, of new life are sealed through the blood, through the death of Jesus. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul tells us that as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, that we proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. You see, the Lord's Supper is a stone that allows us to proclaim, to tell the story of Jesus' death until He comes again. So this morning, church, we gather around the stone that we call the Lord's Supper so that we can be reminded of and so that we can tell the story of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection so that people might ask us, your children, even children here today, might say to you, Mom and Dad, why do we drink that juice and eat that stale cracker? <laughs> it gives you the chance to tell the story, to share your faith. It's the story of the new covenant that each one, whosoever may receive and enter into, if we will receive God's gift of grace by believing and trusting in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the stones of Gilgal and how they, how they tell us the story of Your might and of Your faithfulness in leading the Israelites across the promise, into the Promised Land. Let us never forget to tell our children and their children. And even more today, Lord, we give thanks for the stones of baptism and for the stone of the Lord's Supper that allow us to tell our story of salvation, that allow us to mark the place and the stone of our salvation and of your sacrificial death on the cross. Lord, may each of us be faithful to place the stone of baptism where it can be seen visibly and to tell our children, our friends, our neighbors that story. And Lord, let us be faithful as we gather around this stone of your supper to tell the story of your death, of your resurrection, of the new covenant of grace and of eternal life. For all of this we give thanks. In the name of Jesus, amen.